Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody and welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a light heavyweight top contender about Jamal Hill, Tiago Santos, and a tough finale for, I think, I mean, we've been through 30 of these seasons now, but this has to be the most, oh my God, is that even still going on, tough season that they've ever done. Like, yeah. uh-huh. somebody mentioned the other day that, uh, you you know, like, other if you're not getting paid to cover tough, why would you cover, why would you watch any of it? And I had to quickly step in and be like, no media outlet in their right mind is paying somebody to cover tough. Yeah. It is nobody's job. There's literally no reason to watch it. Yeah. There's, (laughs) there's no reason to write anything about it. There's no reason to update anybody about it. Mm -hmm. UFC fans do not care. They are not reading about it. All that matters at this point is that ESPN Plus got some content filler, and at the end of it all, we have two fights, which will result in two people getting into the UFC, and then we'll all move on. Like we just, the UFC just signed five people last night off of the Contender series. Mm-hmm. Five, one all fight. Of whom I'm sure have. Deeper and better records than the the four people now vying for a, a tough contract. Yeah, and that was one night's worth of work, and I'm sure by the end of next month, when they they're done with the contender series, will have si- they'll have signed like forty new fighters, and we've got two like very regional tough finalists to get like who cares like it it is no way special at this point except that you get a worse contract than a tough or than a the contender series fighter out of the deal is it possible that tough is still like profitable in some way like i think espn plus is happy to have the extra content well sure that way and they can probably fill it with branding i don't know i'm not actually watching the episodes i can fill it with enough branding the streaming to... era has been a, a boon for dana white's little pet project yeah it's like there is just a constant need for meaningless content yeah i'm sure it pays for itself at the very least and beyond that it's just you know they already canceled it they it was already written off as too yeah. worthless to make and i think <laughs> it's um only come back just because dana white it is his invention. He made this all yeah. on his own. And he really, Dana White certainly believes in the sort of UFC mythology, the origin yeah. myth, where his creation of tough is in fact the thing that turned the company around and made it the juggernaut it is today. So, yeah. And so, um, which is not entirely misplaced. I mean, yeah, let's there's, be real. there's, there's something to that. The original uh-huh. tough season was a lightning bolt that the UFC needed at the time to go no from doubt. a, growing but struggling business to i mean there was a time people you know younger fans may not remember this but there was a time in the mid to late 20 uh, the mid to late aughts like 2000 
2005 to 2010-11 era, where, like, UFC was, like, a Hollywood uh, fad. Yeah. You know? I mean, we still get a couple celebrities showing up to fight, but it used to be that, like, you yeah, just yeah, get, yeah. like, a random fight card, and there'd be, like, Harrison Ford hanging yeah, exactly. out. Like, it would be, like, a fight for the troops night, and, like, Emily Blunt would be hanging out there. Like, why, yeah. did, why is this incredibly famous person here? Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was a whole that had a it had a boom moment that you could pretty probably clearly tie back to tough. Yeah. So he's sure. not wrong in that. It's just that it it's an outdated tool. It was yeah. a reality show when reality shows were already starting to get a little tired. I was just thinking that like all the people on tough don't get paid, right? Like they get paid a stipend. There's the all the fighters get a stipend. Yeah, there's there's, okay. there's some money to be made just for being on the show. Okay, but, but a contender series fight, like how much do they get paid for those? Five and five. It may honestly be more expensive to run one contender series night than a season of The Ultimate Fighter. It might, but it's infinitely um, an infinitely better product to watch, less efficient, and yeah. infinitely and, uh, more efficient product. The contender series. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So we got this tough finale to talk about. As right. you can tell, it's not. We're jazzed, any, obviously. Yeah, we're jazzed. We're super jazzed. And it's on top of such a great card to otherwise care about. It's <laughs> good sarcasm. Thank you. Yeah, as Phil uh, as Phil put it, we've reached the edge of the desert, you know? Mm-hmm. We've, we've been wandering through a lush oasis the last yeah, a month and a half. All of these wonderful cards, truly stacked, and now there's just like a three to four week stretch where they they've run out, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the start of it. Which is not to say I've I've gone through a bit of an emotional swing with this card, Zane, because yeah, um, I expected I forgot that they they only do the finalists mm-hmm. from Tough, so I was like, oh my god. I've already seen this card in advance. It's a bunch of fights I don't care about. Now they're going to be like six people I've literally never heard of. Uh, eight yeah. people, ten people I've never heard of added to it. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just the two fights. And so uh, I, I would I would upgrade it to an almost passable fight night card. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Almost. Let's, let's jump into our almost passable main event then. Uh, Tiago Santos, Jamal Hill, yeah. which has all the look and feel of a fun actiony fight but Ooh, yeah when you really start to break it down might yeah. be a, re- a no- I mean I feel for Tiago Santos cuz uh-huh. we've talked about this um I know I've talked about it a lot that MMA is structured in such a way that by the time you actually get to a point where you're making money yeah. It's also the time when you should probably be considering not doing it anymore. Yeah. Just for the toll it takes on your body. And Tiago Santos has been at this for 12 years now. Yep. And it took him up to about 2018, 2019. Yeah. To get to a point where suddenly people were like, oh, wow, Tiago Santos is good and fun and I want to see him. Not that he Many, wasn't good and fun before that, but to get an actual to a point where you're headlining cards all the time and right. you're you're making you're cashing in on this contract that you've had for you know 5 or 6 years now yep and then he gets a title fight and then he gets a career altering injury to his knee yep uh from which he has never really recovered 
and uh, and then has uh, just a an endless stream of uh, really dull fights. I mean, to yeah. to Tiago's credit, um, to his benefit, these have all almost almost entirely been very boring fights. Yeah, it's where if he's his body is breaking down. He's not at least accruing a great deal of yeah. head trauma in the cage. It's true. It's true. So he's getting, he's still getting those paydays and not much is, uh, is really happening. Although that, you know, that of course doesn't uh, factor in all of the, the real damage that fighters accrue in their training camps. But yeah, but there, there is a lot to be said for the fact that, Hey, at least if you're getting, you know, if you got into a late stage in your career where you're just kind of, fighting your way through these last few years, headlining and a big enough name that the UFC is going to kick, keep dialing you into main events. Yeah. Um, at least, yeah, he's not getting punished for it, but yeah. it does feel pretty notable at this point that I think there's definitely been a step lost. To oh, Sanchez. for undoubtedly, undoubtedly in confidence and physical ability. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's, just, willingness to pull the trigger like oh for sure he's never been a fast-paced fighter but he's slipping quickly into that josh berkman stage where he can't lead anymore yeah i mean he he's always had tricky counter punching and everything but he he can't he doesn't go first yeah. anymore yeah um, and uh, thank goodness fighters are like universally a uh i'm different kind of breed <laughs> because you know i mean if, if if jamal hill was like a james elroy character he'd come into this fight and he would have like an existential crisis looking at tiago santos being like all the stuff that you just mentioned would be internal monologue and he'd be like that's yeah. what i'm gunning for yeah to yeah. just be fed to the next jamal hill with my body breaking down but no he's jamal hill he sees this as his chance to break through he's certain he's going to be champion and he is an exciting fighter. You know, there is a lot to like about Jamal Hill's game. He's fast. He's very fast. He's very fast. He's very accurate. Mm -hmm. He's powerful. He seems durable. I mean, physically, uh, he's big. You know, he's yeah. got long arms and he's tall. Physically, he's really got all the makings of a top contender. Yeah, he's exactly what we keep talking about is the what what makes a prototypical light heavyweight, which is right the size, the speed, the athletic ability first. You have to kind of be a right an athletic phenom to He's stand and, out in this big and dynamic. Uh, yep. that, those are the, the prerequisites. Um but he is also kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> he's um you know, like I can't quite tell yet if he's a, if he's lined up for a rude awakening very soon, possibly in this fight. Yeah. Or if he will make it like all the way to the cusp of contention before uh, it becomes clear that anything has to change because it does keep working for him. Mm -hmm. it, is, um, it is an unbelievably good stroke of luck, really, yeah. that he fought a guy who is even more that way in Johnny Walker. Right. Where like they literally landed the same punch at the same time. And Hill was just that little tiny bit cleaner, so his worked and Walker's didn't. But yeah, a fight it, in which, by the way, like the the hand he knocked Johnny Walker out with was actively turning into a, a human skin balloon because yeah. of uh, sloppily blocking one head kick from Johnny Walker and and poor defensive technique, basically. Um, yeah. You know, we just seeing little little glimmers of the problems that Jamal Hill would be having if this were a healthier division. Yeah. He kind of he kind of has like Alex Morono's form a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, like the real high elbows. And like, he, you know, he's quicker and he darts in and out faster and he hits harder and all that. But it it is a little bit of that, like, you are so upright. And yeah, it's a real street fighter kind of vibe. Yeah. Like, it's just self-taught kind of feeling. You do see that in like world star videos. Guys just like leaning back with their hands super duper Mm -hmm. high. Um, and they just try to kill with the first punch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the problems uh, that, that do exist in Hill's game really should be nightmarish um, flaws against Tiago Santos. Yeah, they really should. If Tiago Santos was anything like the guy who um, who lined himself up for that shot against John Jones, I would pick him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamal Hill is extremely kickable. Yeah. Not only did he, you know, almost break his arm on a single kick from Johnny Walker, just badly blocking it, could be a problem here. Um, his fight with OSP, he just got shredded with low kicks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely destroyed with every low kick that was thrown. He's not balanced to take them. He has no defense to them. His defense in general is very, very bad. Yeah. It's all it's all built around being fast. Exactly. And punishing. Yeah, like which is what yeah. got him through that OSP fight is that he he's he has this style where it's like, yeah, you're gonna hit me. I don't have to worry about defending because I'm gonna hit you back right away. Yeah. And credit to Jamal Hill showing some craft. A big part of that OSP fight was him going to the body even on the counter. Mm-hmm. Um so he wasn't just head hunting. These are these are good signs for a, a fighter's sort of um, you know, uh, attacking intelligence. Um, but yeah, I would obviously expect Tiago Santos to be able to counter him when he got wild because, and that, that will still very likely be some kind of problem in this fight because he does still yeah. counter. Yeah. He did it to Ankoliyev and he dropped him, yeah. hurt him. Uh-huh. There's, there's obviously still, there is a version of Tiago Santos that still must be reckoned with. Uh-huh. But if it was the old version, I would also expect him to spend all the time he wasn't countering, making Jamal Hill make those counterable mistakes by just beating his ass with kicks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, if he comes out and does that, he'll win. Yep. Provided he doesn't get knocked out in a crazy exchange. Could still happen. But uh, I don't trust him to do that anymore. No. I trust him to get backed up to the fence almost immediately and not do much to get off of it. And while that is going to give him opportunities to counter, that is the last place you want to be against Jamal Hill. Mm-hmm. I, um, I described um, Hill earlier this week as a, uh, a heavy bag technician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes He's, sense. Right. He's one of these guys where if he misses, you're like, oh, my God, he's terrible. This, this, guy's <laughs> a bad, this guy's a bad boxer. Look, he almost fell over missing a single punch. Yeah. As long as each punch connects, he can actually put together some blistering combinations that look pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just he throws so much into them that, um, yeah, they have to connect to stabilize him so that he can follow up with anything else, be it a. A, a sort of defensive adjustment or an angle change or further punches. Yeah. Um, which is why you don't want to be cornered and just let him start teeing off. Because as I said, he, he has a good chance of making this style work in that position because he is uh, fast and so accurate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick Jamal Hill. I think he's just going to get too many big chances too early. And at the very best, I think Tiago's, it can net himself some close to 50 50 exchanges where um, 
you know, say what you will about Jamal Hill, but he will throw down if somebody is exchanging with him. He'll keep his eyes on the target yeah. and land clean punches that they just don't see coming. So, yeah, I think that Jamal was, Hill. That was one. Of, that was one of the actual really big differences in that fight he had with Johnny Walker between he, him and Johnny Walker is that uh, Hill still has the yeah, he still has the confidence of somebody who's never been knocked out. Yeah. And he was, when he was walking in, like his chin might be up, his hands might be kind of like a little bit awkwardly placed, but his eyes are dead focused on his opponent all the yep. time. So even yep. when Walker was landing, he's always seeing what's coming his way. And for Walker, you could like, the moment Hill would land, he would start to like shy away and cringe and like try to circle and turn his back a little and stuff like that. And it's just like... Mm-hmm. All of these these habits that just gave Hill the advantage of of a pressure fighter, where his his opponent's always reacting to him and he's always there seeing what they're doing, rather than having to try to you know pick it guess and pick it out. Right. And yeah, you look at that kind of confidence, that kind of focus, and then you couple that with the fact that he land he throws twice as much as. Tiago Santos. And it just really seems primed for him to just come out and trust that he can march into the teeth of Tiago Santos's offense and maybe he'll get hurt. But if he's going to throw, you know, if he's going to, if he's going to double up on the strikes thrown, I got to have a lot more trust in his chin right now and, and yeah. his ability to just go out and keep that pace. Frankly, I'd rather Jamal Hill get that rude awakening uh, sooner than later. Cause uh, I, I think he does have a lot of potential pretty yeah. clearly. And yeah. if he were to tighten some of these things up, he could just be a consistently awesome fighter. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it hasn't happened yet. So I expect he's just going to be hyper aggressive and I think that'll work. Yep. There was a time when it would not have worked for Tiago Santos. This is exactly what Tiago Santos was setting you up for as a trap. Right. But I just don't think those days are here anymore. Yep. Odds on the bout. Hill is the favorite here, opened at minus 250, currently down at minus 292. Tiago Santos opening at plus 210, currently up at plus 234. Yeah, makes sense to me. Santos is, he's just not pulling the trigger. No, I mean, I still think it should be reasonably close. As I said, the one thing Tiago does still do is fire back when he's he is himself under fire. He he yeah. and is still a crafty and quick and powerful counterpuncher. Hill's gonna get countered. So he will. There's gonna be some very dicey moments for both fighters. But uh yeah. A reasonable favorite for Hill sounds good to me. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Vicente Luque, Joff or Jeff Neal. And um I like this fight a lot because I think feel like this is actually it's an interesting kind of limit test for Vicente Luque's style hmm. which it shouldn't it, it doesn't you know it, on the surface of it I'm just kind of like well Luque is a more varied technician as a boxer yeah and he is much more apt to pressure and he is incredibly durable still. And Neil has uh, 
only been knocked out once, but he has been knocked out once and can just get trapped into a very rote fight if he can't find his way, if, if he can't create even exchanges. Yeah. However, there, Luke has had a bad habit of allowing fighters to create even exchanges, even when he doesn't have to. His insistence on pressure counting, counter punching is, I think it, it's almost pathological, just to this point of like, I am going to walk in on you and create an exchange. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it, that's good. It keeps him, you know, it, it, it keeps him building. It's given him a lot of success. It keeps him moving forward. But it is notable that, you know, for when guys don't just go away, mm-hmm. when they don't get knocked out, they can create much closer fighter, fights than you'd expect. Oh, yeah. Like Mike Perry, Nico Price, you know, I mean, even I think, uh, Randy Brown, for as long as that fight lasted, was doing pretty mm-hmm. well. Brian Barbarena, of course. Yeah, yeah. Lucas had plenty of fights that may very well have been split decisions if he didn't finally break through and finish them late. Yeah, and then he had Bilal Muhammad, who yeah. just like switched stances regularly and was able to pick him off every time, doing not a lot different all throughout the bout. He just was able to use Luque's insistence on pressure to draw him into the same the same shots over and over. Who is a teammate of Jeff Neal's, at least sometimes, and I have a sneaking suspicion picked up a lot of the southpaw moves he used in that fight from Jeff Neal. Yeah. And it wasn't an un-Jeff Neal-ish performance from uh, Bilal. Yeah. And then the notable thing I, I think of when I'm watching all these, you know, looking at all these fights that uh, Luke has had with these people, Neil is a lot faster than all of them. True. Just on pure hand speed. He's yeah. a lot faster than Randy Brown and Nico Price and Michael Chiesa and Mike Perry and Brian Barbarina. You know? Yeah, I would say and, maybe not faster than Randy Brown, but Randy Brown has a different kind of cumbersome. Yes, yeah. And that makes this fight really interesting to me. That makes this a potential, like, right on the edge where I have to pick Luke because I think, you know, he he's more diverse. He picks better targets. He's His insistence on pressure is a lot more functional at an elite level than Neil's kind of uh, willingness to just try to create an open space, even kickboxing bout where he can be faster. Um, but I have to worry a little bit about the fact that like, if Luke can't knock Jeff Neal out, he's going to just give him a lot of chances to land really quick one twos. You know, yeah. um, true. And the and the left kicks. I mean, I would I would be yeah. a little. First of all, I mean, you've, you've kind of sold me on the idea of this being a close fight. I was kind of coming in just thinking, Luke, but I think you make very good points. Um, If Neil wasn't such a headhunter. Yeah. 
I might favor him more because uh, really, I mean, I, I mentioned the that uh, Bilal Muhammad had some success mm-hmm. going southpaw, moving around, staying away. But really, the wrestling won in the fight. Yeah. The things that really worked in the southpaw kickboxing approach were body kicks. Mm-hmm. And, and Neil basically never goes to the body. Yeah. Um, he, he's, this, this, this is part, one of many reasons I think why there is this just super one note feeling to Jeff Neal's fighting that he doesn't vary his speed just though no. so that he is quick. But once you've like been through a round of it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. I can tell when your punches are coming. I've, I've seen enough of them now. He doesn't vary his combinations very much. He's got the one, two. He's got the lead left, and he's got the left high kick that plays off of those. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly it. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, you know, he'll he'll throw in some nifty uppercuts and hooks and stuff. You, if you give Neil a chance to like build on you, yeah, then you absolutely will see some more creative combinations. But as long as he's forced to kind of respond to your pressure, he he becomes very very rote. Yep. And he doesn't have another area in which to threaten Luke. Um, yep. He doesn't. He doesn't have the takedowns, nor does he have the body work, um, which almost makes it so that he's like essentially might, might not might as well not be a kicker at all because like Luke will just block a high kick and come in and punch you back for it. Luke will work the body. Luke will attack uh, with wrestling. Yep. Um, so not only does like, he have the pressure, but he has far more variety, and not only from phase to phase, but within each phase, there is just more craftiness yeah. to Luke's striking. There's changes of rhythm, there are feints, there's defense leading into counters, like, um, there's speed changes, and this might be a fight where it looks really close at first, and then the longer it goes on, Luke ends up looking somehow like the quicker fighter. That I mean, that is a very typical thing for Luke to have, where he'll yeah. have two rounds where it's just really a brutal, like, mash of violence. And then suddenly, out of, in the third round, Luke just emerges as the cleaner puncher. Yeah. But as long as Neil is able to kind of retreat and and keep moving side to side, I mean, it is impossible not to notice how effective that just insistence on lateral movement was for Bilal Muhammad. Yeah. Um, even if you're not getting shots off, Luke is so cumbersome on his feet. You just have to keep making him reset over and over. And you're going to have a, a a fight where neither guy is clearly winning, but at least Luke is not overwhelming you as he would really like to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that, so. that's the thing is it's just like, it's almost, it's almost like, you know, and for all the success he has, it sounds a little ridiculous, but it's almost like Luke fights down to his competition sometimes. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, he just, the insistence on the fight he wants to have gives opponents a lot to work with. And, you know, it, Neil might be on a cusp where that is more dangerous than ever. Or yeah. not, if not ever, it's as dangerous as it was against, uh, you know, in some ways against like Stephen Thompson. Yeah. Where you just like, okay, well, do you have an, like, what do you have another answer for this problem? Because what you've come prepared with is not functioning. Yeah. I mean, how I was going to phrase this is that I think Neil has a lot of good answers 
but he yeah. doesn't seem poised to ask many questions. Yeah, and I think I, I'm ultimately picking Luke as well for yeah. all the points you raised, where it's just like, okay, the the target selection, the pressure, the the knowing that he will insist on creating his kind of fight. Yeah, and the uh, you know the ability to to submit somebody to have to throw in something else to have the fight go another way that he could win it. Exactly. It, it's all stuff you've got to lean on. It's just I can also just see in my mind, like, having a fight where, you know, like like the Nico Price, the second Nico Price fight, or like the Barbarena fight, where you're just like, man, you are making this so close, and this guy has absolutely got the physicality to make you pay for that every time you do. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I do wonder, I, I, I think this could be a very close fight, even if it's one I'm picking Luke to win. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, odds on the bout, Vicente Luque is the favorite, opened at minus 175, jumped up to minus 145, and has steadily fallen back down all the way to minus 179. Jeff Neal opened at plus 150, dropped down to plus 125, and is currently up at plus 149. Yeah, that feels about right to me. Sure. Luke has a lot of a ways to make this fight his and win it, but he'll also probably just spend a lot of time having a fight that Neal can have good success with round to round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if this were, it's kind of a shame that they have the main event they do, because if this were the main event, it might actually favor Luke a bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. just because he's easy as one of these guys who just he doesn't really he doesn't overexert himself so yeah he could just kind of keep marching forward forever yeah and um yeah i mean even against Bilal muhammad he was having more and more moments the longer the fight went on and without that wrestling edge for Bilal, that fight would have i think played out very differently yeah down, down the stretch yeah all right let's ju- let's jump into our first tough finale zach pag paga yeah Pauga. Pauga. Zach Pauga against Muhammad Usman. Oh, it's me. It's you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, fine. I, I actually, <laughs> the, the shame is uh, I, I watched, uh, you know, Usman's um, final fight. I think the guy's name was Eduardo Perez. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I actually liked the look of Perez more than Usman. Yeah, uh, Perez looked like a guy with some like technical potential, mm-hmm. um, who's just not quite there. Yeah, but was pulling lots of nice moves. Looked like a really solid fighter, and he's huge. Mm-hmm. So that that to me looked like a pretty good heavyweight prospect, like a more dangerous uh, Augusto Sakai type of fighter. Yeah, and um, you know, close fight, split decision. Usman got the nod. Usman's clearly a physical specimen. Yep. He's powerful, both, you know, as a puncher, he carries some power, but is also just very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also, I mean, it's not going to, this isn't going to be a factor here, but going forward as a UFC heavyweight, he's, I mean, he's 6'2". To be honest, he's bigger than I thought he was. Yeah, um, I think some of those dudes on that contender on that huge. tough season were just huge, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he is kind of just, he's very awkward, very Muhammad, very awkward. He he has this like built in movement, 
uh, like the way he moves his head. Mm-hmm. He. I thought you were talking about that skipping jab he throws. There's that too. His footwork is very awkward. He's he's really like rooted and has a hard time gathering his feet and and uh, like building a forward moving attack of any kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, that is also tied to the fact that his his upper body is always moving, but just never in the right way. <laughs> so he has the mobility problems that you associate with people who who rely a lot on head movement. Yeah. Except his head movement is terrible because he's he's constantly looking at the floor. Mm-hmm. He the number of times I've seen him just sort of inch forward at somebody like ducking, like the head is literally the first yeah. thing coming into range. Um, and it's like just uppercut. Yep. <laughs> he's coming in just uppercut, right? You don't even set it up. He can't see it coming anyway. Yeah. He's he's walking into a shot like that very soon or a head kick or a knee. Um, or, you know, the first tall guy who's actually like confident stepping in and grabbing a clinch. His posture is pre broken for you. Mm-hmm. These are problems. And you see it when he's being attacked too. that he, he, he does try to move his head, but like he has this really weird thing where like, He's like trying to move his head starting from the neck. <laughs> like somebody told him head movement um, in like a different language and didn't fully translate what it means. Like he'd read about it, but never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Cause the thing with head movement is the head is at the end of the lever that is your torso. Yeah. And it is the torso that moves starting at the hips. Right. Yeah. Or if you're Mike Tyson and you want to have somebody like therapeutically crack your back between every round, you do it at the lower back. Yeah. But ideally, you, you fold your hips and bend your knees and this moves your head. Mm-hmm. He does this weird thing where he literally is like tilting his head on his neck. Yeah. Um, just really yeah, the awkward. Baru, like the Baru pose with like dogs when they find don't, something in- interesting. You know? I don't know what, oh, 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 and like an inquisitive. Uh, yeah, the head yeah, tilt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's a name for that. Yeah. Baru? Yeah, B A R O O. Like, you know, like the, the noise, like a oh, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dogs are so stupid. Um, he, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. He has an inquisitive. He has an inquisitive dog style of head movement. Yeah. Inquisitive dog kung fu. um (laughs) yeah he's just a really awkward fighter and you can just tell like without his physicality not saying that it's not a factor it obviously is but without it he he would just not be a very good fighter Mm -hmm. um zach pauga is better you know he's smaller and may end up getting overpowered here um but at least there is like a comfort with distance management mm-hmm. in Zach Pauga's game that he 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 moves his feet pretty well. He, you know, when he makes a defensive move, it isn't incredibly awkward. He tends to keep his eyes on the opponent and make, uh, you know, as best as he can guess, only make as much space as necessary. He's got an active jab. Um, like basically everyone I saw using jabs on the show, it has this weird thing where even though it's a jab, he does tend to like overcommit to it. Mm-hmm. So he can't uh, double it or follow it up all that effectively. Um, but hey, in his uh, his uh, semifinal fight on the Ultimate Fighter, he did uh, use it to set up some really nice left hooks, uh, getting the guy to uh, to parry at his jab and then leaping in with left hooks and. Yeah, once he gets a combination going, he's very quick-handed and fluid. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll take Pauga. Yeah. I, I think he's just going to be, he's just going to read as having much faster hands and being very difficult for Usman to catch and, and sort of pin down. And if it becomes like a physical tie up kind of fight, I would, uh, would definitely change things around. But even then I don't see a ton of like wrestling prowess from Usman. Yeah. It's he's just like a beefcake. Yeah, he's it's a very he wants to have a very slow fight where he works his way into a couple of big moments. Yeah. And stays away from everything else. And those couple of big moments win in the round, whether it's like a big slamming takedown. Yeah. It doesn't result in a lot of top control or a uh, couple of big, you know, winging punches or just working his way to trapping somebody against the fence and trying to land something in there. It's it's not, there's not a lot that happens for him in between these, in these planning stages where it's just like, yeah, okay, he's clearly trying to set up this one thing. And while he's trying to do that, he's, there's not, not, not a lot else going on. Yeah. Whereas Pauga, like he's a bit messy and he's a bit boxing focused. Yeah. But He's always just looking to do that. He's just looking to step in and try to wing a couple more punches at you. And then if you push back, he'll be, you know, right there to step back in and wing a couple more punches and over it's and over. It's reasonably and over good boxing. And, yeah. and, and it, it relies on his, his jab and jabbing from correct distance so that he, he, you know, like we were talking about with Tiago Santos's kicking game, he has a bit of that. I will force you to make the big commitments and the big mistakes. Meanwhile, I'm going to rack up points with this jab. Yeah. He's a light heavyweight. I mean, he's just a better fighter than yeah. the other guys because he's literally a light heavyweight. I mean, he's yep. probably going to win here and drop back down to 205, right? Yeah, I would assume so. Win or lose, he'll probably drop back down to 205. I think he's Well, if he loses, he'll probably get cut. Well, there you go. That's how they do it now. Yeah. I wouldn't um, mind having him as a light no. heavyweight if he loses. I mean, yeah. send him in there to fight your your William Knights and whatnot. Like, there's oh, the William this... Knights up at heavyweight now. Oh, right. Well, you know, the other William Knights yeah. that they have at light heavyweight. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Pauga's just better, and Usman does not look like he he does not strike me as the kind of heavyweight who has like a lot of prototypical heavyweight tools to really lean on. Right. Like somebody who's just going to be absolutely unbreakably durable. Yeah. Maybe he is, but he fights like he's really concerned about getting hit. So I have to kind of imagine he's not. Yeah. And um, otherwise, yeah, he, he's not like insanely freakishly large. No. He's just, you know, he's a good big size. He's a, he's a decent sized heavyweight. Yeah, but it doesn't come with a lot of speed. No. Or dynamism. No. It's just kind of like you're big and strong and that's enough to win a lot of regional heavyweight bats, but it's not even been a lot to win them all. You know, right. He, he's I mean, he lost to Dontel Mays not that long ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll take Pauga, too. It just seems like he's a much better crafted fighter who is working on a game that he's pretty confident in. And it's boxing heavy and it's stuff's takedowns and there's not a lot else to it right now. But mm-hmm. it's a lot more than leaning over and just trying to reach for somebody or occasionally like skipping a jab at them and then winging like an, a, a right hook, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Odds on the bout. 
Usman is the underdog here, opened at plus 170, jumped up and down to plus 205, it's currently plus 201. Pago opened at minus 200, dropped to minus 240, it's currently down at minus 250. All right, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Brogan Walker Sanchez, Juliana Miller, and um, I, you know, there are probably better women flyweights out there than this. For, <laughs> to, to, to make a show out of, like, I mean, I, like, I have to pick Brogan Walker Sanchez. She's uh-huh. actually kind of athletic. Yeah. And she's got this weird sort of bladed karate stance she does that has taken some of the power and effectiveness out of her game and made her a much more awkward striker than she needs to be. But she's fast and she can connect with some power. And if she learns some command of range, she could be pretty effective. Yeah. At some point. And Juliana Miller is just running on pure rage. Rage. Yeah. Rage and lust for blood. Yeah. Um I mean I will say I, I do kinda like Juliana Miller. <laughs> she's she's a very exciting fighter. She reminds me of Lucy Pudalova. Yeah, yeah. She kinda looks like her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's she's got that. She's she is super aggressive. And yep. we'll have a much closer striking battle with better strikers a lot of the time because yeah. she just keeps them under so much pressure. And it doesn't – She, I mean, of all the fighters I saw on these these uh, late-season tough fights, uh, and those were the only ones I watched, um, she's the only one I saw who literally every time she takes a punch, her eyes just stay open the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's pretty fearless. Yeah, she's insanely fearless. And – it could that could be enough to get her a win over Brogan Walker Sanchez, um, but she eats so much damage for yeah. like trying to be that fearless, and what follows isn't all that effective, you yeah. know. Like she will just wing wild off balance punches that might land, but are also easy to counter, and she then will clinch up and try to like head and arm or sacrifice throw or trip from an upper body where she's not, doesn't have a lot of control over the takedown on the way down. So she's got a pretty 50, 50, maybe even 30, 70% chance of landing on the bottom. Yeah. And uh, then she's a pretty aggressive grappler, which means that she, she can get submissions, but she will definitely hunt for positions over submissions and let herself get swept and things like that. If her opponent has a mind to, uh fight that kind of thing off yeah for somebody who's so consistently good at actually getting to mount she uh she gets swept out of mount an awful lot yeah um and i I think she just doesn't mind like i think she thinks she gets to the good position this is like you now like you exchange your positional advantage for uh, a strong attack in the transition like um I don't think she minds it. And I don't think she, cause I don't think she minds working her way back to the good position. I think she likes that. Yeah. Like the, the grind is her style. Yep. So um, she, that could easily be enough to beat Brogan Walker Sanchez. I'm just going to take the fighter that like looks clearly better trained and like a better athlete, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think I agree. I will say, I mean, I, there, there is that lack of distance management in, in, in Brogan's style. Like, uh, Miller is definitely going to chase her down and make some messy exchanges. Like, I think it might throw Walker off that Miller is just willing to eat a single yeah. punch and, and Walker does throw a lot of single punches. Yep. Um, so she's going to be in some exchanges she doesn't want to be in and is probably going to have to adjust. I think I would favor Miller more if she was just a slightly better wrestler. Yeah. Slightly, slightly better. better anything would really help. Well, sure. But just a slightly better wrestler because because guaranteed she's going to get yeah. to some clinches. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, she's she's going to run in behind eight ugly punches and, and eat one and maybe land a couple glancing blows and she's going to lock up. Yep. And uh, it still might work. Like, I, I don't yeah. I'm not confident in walking here because Miller does at least have a variety of takedowns. She will, uh, you know, a, a variety of trips. She'll go for straight body lock like bear hug takedowns. Just try to run you off balance. Uh, she will go for head and arm throws, of course, but it's the body lock stuff that I that looks a little better. And um, yeah, she will if she gets her hands locked on her opponent, she will just wrench them around trying to upset their balance, hoping that like an opportunity arises to actually mm-hmm. secure a real takedown. And, the, you know, half the time it works. Yeah. And she'll keep trying. And so, yeah, I, I still think there's a serious chance there for her to just get good positions and sap the energy out of Walker because she's, as you said, super aggressive on top, even if she does ultimately give up the positions she works for. But yep. yeah, I, I think she is just going to get hit clean an awful lot um, yeah. at range on the feet. And I just don't trust her to consist. I mean, Walker is a pretty solid defensive grappler. She yep. she wound up in a bad position early in her fight with Pearl Gonzalez, survived it, and then used the cage to get back to her feet. She just looks like a real MMA fighter. Yep. So, yeah, that's just my feeling. It's like, okay, one of these people looks like the kind of person who crafts an M- a journeyman's MMA career out of pure like aggression and will to do this, you yeah. know? They're just like, no, I am going to be a fighter. And you're like, that's a really bad idea. Why? And, you know, you see them five years later with missing teeth and covered in scars <laughs> and broken ears, but incredibly proud of the work that they've done. Sure. You know? What is an MMA career but a sort of a meth binge? <laughs> you know, you lose some weight, uh, you lose some teeth, you got nothing to show for it. <laughs> it's expensive, but hey, you had fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you I mean, that I, kids, I, meth <laughs> equals fun. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah, why was, would people do it if it sucked? Right, right. Maybe not for me. I do have the ADHD, so maybe it would just make yeah. me very focused. That's right. <laughs> That's what Ritalin is. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think this is close, still fairly close to 50-50 as far as things go, just because, uh, you know, you can falter for it. But uh, unhinged aggression is definitely one okay. of those things you look for in a prospect. Absolutely. That's can't, a fighting. You can't train it. No. And I think she's got more of that innately than Walker. Like she oh, does definitely. have a real fighter's mentality. So Walker's she's Walker is, is currently in the midst of uh, Holly Holm, Caitlin Chukaying, Chukaying yes. herself, where she's learned some striking. You know, it's it's like the abundance of pad hold, pad holder striking. Oh my God, yes. Where it's just like enough okay, pads, yeah. folks. You know. They're not that useful. That's my opinion, yeah. honestly. 
not the way most people use them. Do it like yeah. Muay Thai coaches, where like the pads are just where you get to haul off and kick the the shit out of a moving target. Yeah. But that's it. You know, enough of these flashy drills and eight straight rounds of pad work. Enough. Yeah, because it just you see, you know, it it feels like one of the principal things you see out of a lot of or out of those fighters and other fighters like them, where it's just like, why are you always hitting? Like, why are you so willing to throw and like miss by six inches yeah you know what is what has trained you to throw all of your strikes from a position where you can't possibly land yeah a pad holder who stands eight feet away and then meets your strike halfway yeah Uh uh-huh and not enough sparring and yeah yep so there's a little of that in brogan walker sanchez and that is concerning i don't think it'll be the big problem here but yeah it's always concern for sure. Yeah, I still think that I would give I would make Miller a very live dog here that yeah, unhinged aggression as I said is is really effective uh up to a pretty high level in this sport. Mhm. Miller opened at plus 140, dropped to minus 130 and is currently at minus 123. Hey, no That's live dogs, wild. light favorite. Wild. Uh Walker opened at minus 160, jumped to plus 110, is currently minus 101. That is I'm okay with something close to 50-50. I am a little surprised by Miller as the favorite, but I I also, like I said, I kind of get it. She does just track as more of a fighter. It it is worth noting, though, and this is always far, far and away the most, one of the most important things about Tough that Uh is easily forgotten. She has three pro fights. Yeah. One of which she lost. Yeah. Like... More often than not, fighters come in after tough, not being the person you saw on the show, but the person that they were previous to the show. True. And Rogan Walker Sanchez is much more experienced and has beat a better level of competition, unquestionably. I mean, she has a win over Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick's pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, she's at least a physical force. It's uh, I I I would be hesitant to bank on Juliana Miller just for her wild aggression and tough uh wins alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to me again, it gives her a real shot. Yeah. But slight uh, favorite favorite is is a little surprising. Yeah, like so we're talking like a sub sub UFC level athlete here who is pushing through on like channel pure channel rage. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Augusto Sakai, Sergei Spivak. And this is a real question. Mm-hmm. Is Augusto Sakai a good enough wrestler to out-wrestle Sergei Spivak. It is a real question. (laughs) Um, I mean, I kind of think no. I kind of think no, too. Like, which isn't to say that Spivak is a particularly great wrestler. Um, 
But it is it is if you, it is the defining question of Sergey Spivak's UFC career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if he can if he can out wrestle you, he wins. If he can't, um, almost always loses. In fact. Yep. Yeah. Um. And it's a it's an especially big question here because without that. I don't think this is a super duper win, like easy winnable striking match for Sakai either. I mean, now that Sakai's shin has been found, it's heavyweight wins are going to be hard to come by at this level. Yeah. There's a reason we talk about durability being the absolutely unquestionable first thing that matters for a heavyweight. Everybody hits really hard, and usually if they can absorb enough punishment, they can take away every other advantage you might have. Yeah. Now, I mean, to be fair, there is such a clear line between the guys Sakai was able to beat and the guys he's lost to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they are just the best dudes in the division. Even even Overeem, like, he doesn't have the one thing you need to beat Overeem. Yeah. Um, he didn't have the two things, in fact. He didn't have the defensive wrestling. Yep. And he doesn't have the power. Yep. Um, so, get you know, without those things, Overeem is still complete upper echelon of the division. You're going to have an extremely hard time beating him. Well, you know, likewise, Rosenstrike and Tuivasa. Yep. And uh, Spivak is absolutely much closer. He's he's marching to Bora level, you know, mm-hmm. it's who, who, who Sakai has beaten, who he's actually finished. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Spivak is was not a good enough wrestler to beat Marcin Tybura. Right. Yeah. Which honestly, uh, shamefully, yeah. few heavyweights are. <laughs> um, yeah. And it should be noted too that we don't even know if Sakai was. He, he just knocked him out in a minute. Right. You know, it, it, the question was never posed in that fight. Something which literally like never happens in Sakai's fights. Yep. An instant knockout, and I and I doubt it would happen if they were to run that fight back. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like barring some freak early finish like that, though, um, it's not like Spivak is a complete, like non-entity as a range striker. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'll be out there at the very least mixing it up and taking shots. And he is always going to be having an eye on using one of those exchanges to run into the clinch. And, um, yeah, I think he's got a maybe not the most technical wrestler, but a, a pretty good wrestling style for heavyweight. It's why it's so often effective for him. Mm-hmm. He's a big time clinch and body lock wrestler. I mean, the, for all the physical disparity between him and Greg Hardy, he looked like the stronger man. Once he got his hands clasped around Greg Hardy's middle. Oh yeah. He's yeah. just flinging him around. Mm-hmm. And, and there is actually pretty good form in that kind of technique from Spivak that he's, you know, he's using his knees and actually like sitting into these takedowns. Um, yeah, I think I'll take Spivak. I just think he's going to have a pretty close fight with Sakai where he's the one who's constantly threatening to take the fight somewhere where he just has a clear advantage. Yeah. The biggest problem for me, the biggest reason that I'm willing to side with you and pick Spivak here is when Sakai does get taken down, man, his game really shatters. Yeah. Like once takedown start hitting and start being effective against him. He does like not have his... a... hmm? Go on. Go on. I say he does not have a clear path back to his feet 
and he doesn't have any of the like Derek Lewis like oh I'm just gonna be composed and wait here right there's much more of a panicked oh god this was not supposed to happen what am I gonna do to try to like yeah. to reverse this and I was gonna I was gonna add that even his striking it is affected by yeah um by takedowns working against him that he's already kind of inherently a cautious striker mm-hmm. most of the time and um yeah having to worry about those entries i think we've already saw like in the overeem fight it can really cut down on his output yeah i mean it takes me back too it was really ended up being the question i had because sakai a big thing for him on the feet whether he's the better striker or not he has a lot of trouble stopping every exchange from being 50 50 which mm-hmm. is i think also part of the reason that he's you know not necessarily willing to sit down on something he just doesn't he when he does go first he tends to have a big step in one two kind of thing where everybody knows exactly what he's doing and they hit him and if he can take the shot he can keep pouring it on and keep grinding and keep pushing on somebody to break them down over time but if you know but it makes it makes the rounds leading up to that always very close very even rounds and then if, yeah, if Spivak's going to be looking to take him down all the time and he can get a couple takedowns, even just one, he can he can change this fight a lot. Because he's, you know, if you give him good position on the ground, he his thing was always, even, you know, back on the regionals, was just be tough, wait the person out, and then punish them when you get the chance and they're tired. And he has that drive. He's got a very distinct, like, oh, I found a, oh, I found a lever into this fight. I will use that to punish you kind of thing. So, yeah, I'll take Spivak. I don't think Sakai has the power to just put him away. And if he doesn't, Spivak has the wrestling to turn things his, in his favor. What a tragic uh, uh, turn of events that this is one of the best fights on the card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is clearly one of the best fights on the card. I'm actually f- feeling, and I'm, and I'm disgusted with myself for it. Interested in this fight now. Mm. Spivak, I, I love a guy. I mean, I'm I'm happy to see a dude like Spivak. You know, because it's like we we're just talking about with like uh, what's her name, Miller, um, Juliana Miller. Mm-hmm. Like Spivak is cut from that same that same cloth, where it's just like. Somebody who's not very athletic, yep. not very coordinated, not very fast, but is just running on pure heart and aggression and figuring out ways to win. And I'm always a fan of that. You know, it's hard for me not to see a guy like Spivak and be like, yeah, go out there. See how many dudes you can just pull down into this morass of an ugly fight where you're the last guy standing. No, I'm with you. Plus, you, you stomp Greg Hardy. You know, I'm a fan. For that. Yeah, true. All right. Uh, Spivak over to minus 200. It's currently down at minus 252. And uh, Sakai opened at plus 170, currently up at plus 202. Sad state for Sakai. I mean, you make this fight uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. and nobody is picking Sergei Spivak. For sure. Yeah. At all. 
Yeah, but I don't. I don't want to. Again, I don't want to forget that that Sakai is not a bad fighter. It's just that no. he clearly hit and then had to like stick to the ceiling for a while. Uh, yeah, Spivak's it's, gotten matchups much more reasonable for his level. It's very true. And Sakai, yeah, like if you don't take him off his feet and you can't knock him out, he will go out there and he will push a very consistent fifty-fifty banking on his own cardio boxing match yeah because he can take over given enough time but you kind of have to be willing to fall right into his kind of fight exactly like our i mean like you know we've seen how many guys can't beat andre arlovsky having that kind of fight mm-hmm. and tybura can't could you know he was able to beat blago Ivanov having that kind of fight just he ran into after that he ran into some guys who a have power and b have other ideas of how to have a fight than to just stand right in front of somebody and box them all right that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout ariane lipsky priscilla cachoeira a perfectly booked (laughs) uh match of women who know the violent part of MMA and like none of the other parts. Uh-huh. They just purely, you know, there there are all these fighters who got into MMA like watching old Bruce Lee movies and like got into martial arts watching old Bruce Lee movies and they're talking about like, you know, the spiritual oneness of martial arts and it'll be like water and all of that. The, these two got into to martial arts like watching Sonny Chiba and like <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. super like super pulpy gore forward yeah 70s you know like or like rickio if you yeah if, if, no, my 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 fighting career inspiration was a cannibal holocaust <laughs> yeah that's uh does that have anything to do with mma no 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 but there's blood yeah there is blood they, they have both understood that mma is supposed to be violent and uh-huh. that's that's about it. I mean, give some credit to Arani Lipsky. I think she yeah. that we've a definite. I mean, a, a, a hint too large to ignore that she has matured and turned into a reasonably good fighter. Yeah, this is this true. is the test. Yes, to see how that sticks against somebody that you you can't just kind of beat up in a safer way than you you would have earlier. But um, that last fight, easily the best Arani Lipsky has ever looked. The most okay. controlled. Um. You know, she was just as a, you know, she still had that aggressive intent, but from the right distance, uh, not allowing an opponent whose only chance would have been to brawl with her to brawl and doing lots of damage in a very methodical way. And for Cachoeira, she's coming off a fight that I think everybody with eyes agrees she lost. Yeah. It was a fun fight. It was a hell of a brawl. She did some good damage, but Gian Kim really outpunched her. Yeah. And should have had that fight won. Um, and yeah, that's that's hard to ignore. Cachoeira, in her whole UFC career, has one takedown for six seconds of control. It's not a part of her game. It is not. She's not trying to make it a part of her game. She is out there to punch and to go punch for punch with you. And Lipsky is a much, much more decisive, well-schooled puncher. And she will mix in other things. If she thinks she can out, if she thinks she can out grapple you, we have seen the pure elation and joy on her face when she knee barred Luana Carolina. 
just like took that leg and just tried to rip it off. She, yeah, you know, there's nothing to say that she won't go out there and just take Priscilla Cachoeira down and choke her. And if she doesn't, I I still think I would pick her to outpunch her too. So it'll be fun if Cachoeira doesn't go down and Lipsky doesn't, uh, you know, do anything else other than kickbox with her. It'll be a slobber knocker. Uh, yeah, but you're picking Lipsky, right? Oh yeah, I'm picking Lipsky. She's just for sure. She's she's actually taken some Muay Thai uh, uh-huh. lessons in the past, and she she has she you know she has the kind of fight where it's like it's always for her. It's, you see the form in her fighting, and you're like, oh okay, you can you have you have learned how to strike, and it's just like her brain would not connect to any other part of or any idea of fighting. Yeah. of like control and making sure you win or anything like that. It was just like, she would start to, she would go out there and she'd throw a couple strikes and she'd have a little success or she'd have a little bit of failure. And no matter what happened that changed the dynamic, it would push her relentlessly into aggression and to the point that she'd just get taken down. Yeah. She's just a, a brawler. And whether that's yeah. uh, excitement or panic, or I mean, the two are, I think are often very closely to this being the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, she she just had a brawler's instinct, which uh, that's why that last fight was such a good sign that she, yeah. she had the one kind of thing that has led her to brawl in the past, just overwhelming success, and just kind of sat on her lead and slowly expanded it and won super comfortably. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I hope she can now prove that she can do that against the other the other brawling trigger, which is an opponent who doesn't care about getting hit and just tries to trade with you. Yep. And does she have the ability to stay out of that kind of fight? Even if it was just the brawling, I think I would still pick her because. Yeah. Cause she will also, when she's in that kind of fight, in those kind of fights, she'll also just go in and shoot. And if she'll she does shoot that, the takedowns and she's faster, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, I, I would still favor her there, but uh, yeah, with those improvements, I'm, I'm hoping to see a, a better Ariane Lipsky uh, Lipsky come close to actually dominating Cachoeira. Yeah. I think it's within her capabilities. It'd be good to see because she's clearly a very good athlete who has had yeah. lots of training. Yeah. It's just there's an insanity behind the eyes, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a measured Erani uh, Lipsky is, I think, a very good fighter and yep. it could be like a genuine contender. Yeah. It's it, the potential's right there for her. Always has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lipsky opened at minus 180, jumped up and down to minus 154, and is currently down at minus 174. Cachoeira opened at plus 155, dropped down to plus 129, and is currently up at plus 143. That all feels fine. Yeah. I would pick Lipsky in. A, there are multiple versions of this fight where I will pick. I would pick Lipsky, but that's there's nothing out there to say that they won't just have an insane brawl. And Lipsky gets dropped like twice while Cachoeira gets dropped once and Cachoeira wins, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. On that note, that wraps up the main card. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Sam. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over bloodyover.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Bloody presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And as always, the MMA section is brought to you by Chris Meany and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find on his website, chrismeany.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.